Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts, especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond and dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributors. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Good morning, friends. <laughs> well, first of all, I want to express my gratitude. I want to thank Mary Kay for her help and patience in getting me to Bolivia. And then to the community of West Hills Friends um, for supporting me financially and prayerfully. The team that went to Bolivia consisted of 23 individuals, but the team that joined together to make the Bolivia trip happen was a variety of communities. And so thank you for being a part of that. I've spoken online about my experience in Bolivia, and while not everyone here may have heard my post, seen my postings, heard my postings, um, I've decided not to rehash what I wrote there, and rather take this opportunity to fill in some of the backstory to how that trip happened for me. Because I came onto the Bolivia team late, my preparations for the trip were uh, an all-consuming series of events that I just had to go from one to the next, and I didn't have a lot of time to contemplate much of what was going on. Just do it. Um, but when I look back, I can see that the patterns form kind of a series of puzzle pieces. And so I invite you to go with me for a minute or two as I lay out those puzzle pieces as I understand them. When Mary Kay announced the Bolivia trip at the beginning of last summer, I immediately said yes. I, I literally felt this yes leap right out of my chest um, when she said the word Bolivia. Um, it was exactly the opportunity I wanted. Uh, was being a part of a team in a Spanish-speaking environment, um, being of service. And so for me, all of that just had yes, just stamped all over it, written in bold. Um, so immediately after the meeting, I told Mary Kay I was interested and I wanted to join the team. And I was certain that, that was a leading that I wanted to follow. But by the end of summer, it was really obvious that I did not have the financial wherewithal to follow through with that. Um, I was in the middle of a bankruptcy. Uh, my lawyer, uh, employer had cut back my hours due to diminished seasonal demand. And my supervisor, who was mentoring me for bigger and better things, had just announced that she was moving on to bigger and better things. So, well, not everything at that point was bad. I'd just been cast in a show at a theater that would paid its actors, but that also meant I had no time to fundraise. Um, the demands of rehearsal and performance just don't coincide with anything else. Um, so, and due to my own financial circumstances, I, I really had no funds of my own to move forward. So I told Mary Kay, no, not this time, maybe next year. And now I'm going to fast forward to a Sunday, early uh, this January. I was, came to a meeting, I sat down somewhere in the middle on this side. Um, and for me, winter is really a kind of a time of just emotional hibernation. So I really just sort of, if I can make it to service, then I'm just sitting here and 
it's not really an easy decision for me to be here. Um, and so as I was sitting there observing everyone else's joy at being at meeting, um, I felt a hand tap my shoulder, and it was Mary Kay. Can you talk to me after meeting? She asked. Uh, okay, I responded, and that was about the sum of that conversation because I was just a little too busy in my own self-absorption to really think further as to why she might want to talk to me. Um, after meeting, Mary Kay asked me to reconsider going to Bolivia. People had dropped out for various reasons, and the team was in need of additional personnel. So for the second time, I said yes. Uh, but this time I was ready. Uh, my personal finances were in order. Uh, the play I was in had wrapped up, and it actually had paid me enough to give me the confidence to move forward with all the minutiae of details that um, such a trip requires. And when I needed additional support, I asked for it, and West Hills gave it to me. And again, thank you for that. I don't regret saying no, um, but it was it was heartbreaking to do so. It was demoralizing. It was isolating. It gutted my self-confidence, and it definitely cast a shadow on what I thought leadings from the light were. Uh, but I wasn't ready, and that's the truth of the matter. And no matter how big or burningly urgent the yes was inside me, I just really was not ready for it. And I needed to take care of myself, and so I did. And saying no then made all the difference later when I again had the opportunity to say yes. And that's all I have to say right now. Thank you for listening. For 20 years, I have had this overwhelming and compelling urge to provide medical care to people who do not have adequate access around the world. <clears throat> Yet every year I grapple with numerous questions about the why and the how. Does a week actually make a difference? Would it be more beneficial to just give the money to local workers? In recent years, as, quote, short-term missions, unquote, explode, there are countless books and articles that address volunteerism or the practice of privileged travelers providing services to those of a vastly different socioeconomic status while on vacation. Although the intentions are good, you know, wanting to share the compassion of Jesus, the efforts can be more harmful than helpful, especially if the workers are untrained and lacking skills, or if they're doing something that locals could do in less time and with better results. But unfortunately, medical care is often too expensive or not readily available for many people of the world. So our team is providing a service that is vastly needed. We spend time in training about the local culture and health issues. We learned about chikungunya. I want our goals to be to preserve human dignity, to develop relationships with our coworkers in the country we serve, and to help them cultivate ways to continue to aid their community. What I loved most about this year in Bolivia was the collaboration we had with David and Arminda Tintaya. They're the pastors of the Congregacion Cristiana Amigos, or the Friends Church in Santa Cruz. It was their idea to put on the clinic and something they had done in the past. David and I were able to develop a working relationship through emails for months prior to our arrival. We mutually presented ideas and gave feedback, and with the help of Caro Romero, as my translator, because my Spanish isn't that great, and Google Translate, that helped a lot too. <laughs> 
we were able to really exchange some great ideas. Their church was involved in the planning and implementing of the project for their own community. On the first day of clinic, they put on a nutrition event with posters and displays, and they had all these dietitian students that were there to give consults. Um, each of our provider teams had a Bolivian, either medical student or nursing student, as an assistant, and they really helped bridge the communication of the cult and the culture. David enlisted a local physician, and together the three of us, including Kara, four, <laughs> worked on Spanish educational handouts that fit their culture and about common health concerns. And it was so great to see a patient for back pain and then have a Spanish handout that they would understand with the exercises. And I really felt like we were able to take our work one step further. Um, I also had the privilege of working with a young college student who, named Gabrielle. He was majoring in English, and he was my interpreter for the week. And by the end of the week, he knew all of my speeches by heart and could give medical advice. I would just say, hypertension. <laughs> he would know what to say. Um, we left equipment at the church that they could continue using, uh, like a set of blood pressure cuffs. And the doctor and David and I put together a whole blood pressure protocol for them to use so that they could monitor people in their community for hypertension on an ongoing basis. Um, and then a Bolivian medical team from La Paz came right after us to San Julian and used the rest of our supplies and handouts. So that was pretty cool. Our team was in awe of David and Arminda. On the last night of clinic, as we went around the circle, sharing our most meaningful moment of the week, one of our nurse practitioners mentioned that in her eyes, David embodied the ideal of a pastor. And she was someone who hadn't really spent much time in church. They were both so loving and kind to the people. They were patient, hardworking, and wonderful mentors and leaders for all of us. Their strength was really an inspiration. Holding God's hand. Uh, before I left for Bolivia, I ran across this biblical quotation, for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Isaiah 41.13. Little did I know I would be holding God's hand as well as the hands of most everyone on our team during this trip. About two weeks before the trip, I injured my left knee at the gym. It was getting much better before we left, but after two weeks on the, or two, two days on the airplane, my knee became swollen and painful. I could still walk, but limped and could not do stairs without assistance. In addition to some impaired mobility from the knee injury, a few other experiences tested me. We were unable to get most of our medications through customs at Santa Cruz Airport in Bolivia. Since I work mainly in the clinic's pharmacy, this was very worrisome. What would we have to give our patients? Then one morning I lost my brain, my cell phone, on the bus going to the clinic. Um, and then another morning I actually missed the bus 
luckily, Sarah was still at the hotel. She called Mary Kay on her cell phone. The bus had been 10 minutes um, into the journey to the clinic, but turned around and came back after me. Um, and then one night, I thought I was locked out of my motel room in San Julian as I couldn't find my key. And my, then my friends were very amused because I found it in my other pocket. So, <laughs> on the other hand, it was a very exciting uh, thing to be in a, a country that I'd never experienced before. We were embraced by wonderful Bolivian Quaker hospitality. They were so happy that we had arrived and so willing to help us in our clinics. Team members chipped in and we bought the essential medications we needed in our pharmacy. We still ended up seeing 800 some patients in our two clinics. I realized I was able to do my job in the pharmacy because I received help from God, my teammates, and prayers from home. I enjoyed relating to the Bolivian people at the pharmacy window and practicing Spanish with them. One day, I teamed up with our pharmacy interpreter, Margarita, and gave a talk to our patients about hypertension. All I had to do was reach out my hand and someone would come along and help me up and down stairs, carry my suitcase, and help me walk along rough roads, especially at night. I even made it up the dawning stone steps on the mountainside of Sun Island to the Fountain of Youth. <laughs> so I was, I was humbled by needing assistance. I literally experienced firsthand the power of love that helped keep me going. There was no room for fear, just profound gratitude and calmness because I had been holding God's hand the whole time. Well, okay, they planned what they were gonna say. Um, <laughs> I am winging it. I actually put together a slideshow that was too long, and we're going to show it next week, and it has words in it, and I was going to let that be it. So what I'm going to do today is just tell y'all a story about my two miracle cures, um, which made me happy. And, you know, they weren't really miracles. What I did was I got wax out of people's ears, and I cured deafness. But... <laughs> And I didn't know how. I had to have Mary Kay's uh, partner teach. I, I mean, I've hosed people's ears out before. I've rinsed my ears out, but not ears like this. They, you know, <laughs> you know, earwax differs for different people, and some people have little crooked ear canals, and it gets stuck in there, and some people don't live in a place where they've got eardrops or know what to do about it. And I'm telling you, they had people who could not hear anything and hadn't heard anything since they were kids. This man comes up, and he's been deaf for decades. He used to get terrible ear infections. And um, Mary Kay's partner uh, says, you know, why don't you see if you can get this man's earwax out, and maybe he'll be able to hear. She had already had me do this to this other woman, and I was nervous because it takes pushing lots of soapy water in there hard and then taking this little soft curette and trying to get hold of it. And I'm thinking, I'm going to puncture their eardrum. I know it. 
the first one I didn't do it well, quite well enough. It was mostly coming out. I said, it's not working. So her partner goes in there and gets it out and said, she goes, Lindsley, you just weren't being aggressive enough. So, <laughs> so this other guy, I get it out of there and then um, he can hear. He can like totally hear, except he's got a big hole in his eardrum. And so of course, I thought that was me. And I was nearly in tears for a couple of hours until I mentioned it to Mary Kay and her partner. And they're like, no, Lindsley, it is impossible to puncture someone's eardrum with water. You did not do that. I was like, are you sure, Mary Kay's? 100% sure. <laughs> no, really, are you sure? 100% sure. Okay, so that was one little miracle. And then this other woman comes along, and she's 91, and she's like this tall. And she walks like this, so she's really like this tall. And she's there with her 15-year-old great-granddaughter, and she also cannot hear out of one of her ears. Her great-granddaughter has to talk loud into her left ear because she can't hear anything at all in the right. Mary Kay's partner says, I don't know if this woman's going to be able to hear or not. She's 91. I mean, the woman, you know, she might have ossified ossicles. But maybe she could hear if we got the big old glob of wax out. So after a while, takes a long time. These things are like, you know, like a grape, like a little rock hard grape. But they eventually come out in a little bit soft. And, um, and I ask her in her right ear, can you hear? And she goes, uh-huh in Spanish, you know. You can? Yeah. Her great-granddaughter doesn't believe it. She says, you can hear? Yeah. And I went, ah! <laughs> in her right ear, and she just laughed <laughs> because she could hear it. So that was like a miracle, right? But she still can't see. And so Sarah Stancil goes and gets her some reading glasses, and they have rhinestones on the edge, they're little cat eye things. And so now the little 91-year-old woman can see and hear, thanks to the free clinic. And so there you are. That's my miracle story. Listening to you guys got me a little verklempt. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I've always been a collector of stories. When I was a teenager, my boyfriend was undocumented, living in Kansas City with his family and friends. For the first time, I heard stories of dangerous border crossings, home life, and current struggles. Later, I worked at a community center. The kids we served were primarily from immigrant families and living in poverty. I heard their stories, too. After college, I worked at a sponsorship organization similar to World Vision and was in charge of evaluating the correspondence between foreign-sponsored child and American sponsor. I read those stories. I also took trips to Nicaragua, Kenya, and Brazil to evaluate those programs, and we interviewed participant families, and I listened to their stories too. Next came our move to Portland and my work with Latina and immigrant survivors of domestic violence. Over 10 years of work, I've probably heard more than 2,000 survivors' stories. Then when Mary Kay announced that we were going to Bolivia, or the mission was going to Bolivia, see? Uh, of course, I wanted to go. I craved a chance to work again, to have an adventure, to serve. It took a small miracle to make that happen, and a lot of you were a big part of that. So thank you. <clears throat> and like you might suspect, I collected more stories. Stories from families we served, from the Bolivian volunteers we partnered with, and to my pleasant surprise, a lot of stories from my tripmates. I'll share one story with you. 
During clinic, I partnered with Dr. Laura Dahl, and in San Julian, we saw a nine-year-old boy who, among some other minor concerns, was having trouble with his eyesight. Uh, as his grandmother began to tell his story, I could see that familiar look in his face, the one where kids, the one kids get when an adult is talking about something embarrassing and they are powerless to do anything about it. He checked out. His body drooped even farther down than it had been before, and his thoughts were far away. He hadn't cracked a smile or made eye contact with any of us. His grandma told us that he had repeated the first grade three times, and she suspected that it was because he couldn't see very well uh, enough to learn the material. Even though we knew we didn't have any glasses for him due to the problem at customs, we asked Sarah Stansel for a consult, hoping she could do something for him or provide the family with more information. After a brief chat, Sarah dug around in her small box of reading glasses and found a pair. He needed a prescription, but perhaps those would help. The moment he put those glasses on was magical. His face lit up, he looked around at everything and straight into each one of our faces with the biggest smile you could imagine. It was pure joy. Each story is an opportunity to connect, to deepen empathy and compassion, to share the human experience on a spiritual plane. My heart is like a treasure box of stories. I feel rich.